Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion, and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Uh, with that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Levi B., Jared W., Luke A., and Mike P. So today we have on Moreno Petersay of Metal Commodities Investment Platform, a natural resource-focused platform of newsletters. Moreno is the publisher and editor of Gold Letter International, Uranium Letter International, and Strategic Metals and Rare Earths Letter International. Marino, thanks for coming on. Okay, thank you. Marino, I want to get started by uh, getting some information on your newsletters and kind of how yeah. long you've been doing this type of business uh, and kind of give us your background as well. Okay, well, I started with uh, Gold Letter International uh, already in the uh, late 80s. Uh, uh, let's say from uh, 1980. Uh, before that, uh, I was an investment analyst actually focusing on the Dutch uh, stock market. Uh, have been working for uh, an investment house uh, specializing actually on the local uh, gold market and have been a vice director uh, of that company until 1975 when I decided to uh, uh, work for my own account and uh, Still, uh, originally on the Dutch uh, stock market, I had a market letter at that time uh, dealing with the Dutch stock market. But let's say around the 12,000, uh, 2000, uh, I decided uh, to go to uh, let's say focus on on the on the gold market actually, where I was very much uh, interested in. Then uh, in 2005, there was a turnaround situation in, in uranium was. Uh, also, an interesting situation there that that was uh, revitalized. So I started my uranium market letter in 2005, and then say, well, only a couple of years ago, then of course uh, uh, the revolution on electric cars, and a lot of companies actually switched uh, from uh, uh, other markets uh, into the metal uh, markets. So that's for the last couple of years, and I published reports on that, mostly on a quarterly basis in general, and also write uh, some uh, individual report on companies I like uh, as an investment. Well, that, that sounds great. And uh, so you've been in the bulk of, of natural resource companies for a long time. What, what kind of what kind of metals do you like, uh, you know, kind of going forward, uh, you know, 2019, 2020, and kind of onward? What kind of stuff are you looking at? Well, I see a little bit of a kind of a turnaround situation for gold. Uh, there is the situation that gold, uh, I think, will benefit from the turbulence on the international financial markets because of uh, yeah, well, some other items, uh, of course, uh, geopolitical problems all over the world right now. And I think uh, gold could have the, the benefit of it. Well, uh, what you see now is it broke again through the um, uh, 1300 level uh, the, just the last few days. Well, I think I have a, a, a 
target there for, uh, for 1400. That might not sound uh, spectacular, but of course I'm looking uh, uh, investment opportunities in in stocks. And then you see, of course, that even when the gold price goes up with 100 dollars as it uh, did in the second half of uh, last year, that increases uh, the uh, profit margin. And uh, so you really can say when you have companies with a profit margin or uh, of about let's say 300 that's uh, that's the margin then you get a lot of leverage um, in the in the in the stock market as such mostly uh, let's say three for one and uh, that offers uh, a very interesting uh, investment opportunities uh, for the stock market uh, relatively better than uh, just for gold itself no i agree with you 100 percent and, and even gold at 1400 1500 uh can, you can do incredibly well with the equities, and I don't think it's it's not going to be yeah. difficult to get to those price levels. And uh, so I think that gold has fantastic fundamentals over the next uh, you know this year and and for the next couple of years certainly. Do you see uh, do you see gold going higher from here, or what do you, what's your outlook? On yeah, gold but over the but next but, but, years? but yeah, I see it high, yeah, but based actually on uh, the geopolitical problems. Uh, it is a little okay. bit disappointing that uh, when uh, the situation worsened, and uh, let's say we have, of course, the trade war between uh, America, but we also have uh, populism and so on in, 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 in Europe, and we have the Brexit, uh, of course. So uh, right. these are situations uh, which are actually influencing uh, the, the market from a geopolitical point of view. And in the Second half, uh, even worsening the situation, you saw that gold was recovering from a decline in the first half. So uh, when you look uh, at the end of the year, the gold price was uh, only, uh, let's say, 1% uh, difference uh, um, when you compared it to the year before. So I think with the situation worsening in the world, that that will be the trigger actually for the gold price. Right. So so when there's these geopolitical problems, do you see that banks, not just central banks, but other banks, do you see them adding to their holdings as a hedge against the geopolitical problems? No. No, only when uh, they have, uh, let's say, economic problems themselves, which has an uh, impact uh, on their currency, uh, they will actually hedge uh, their situation uh, and uh, buying the gold like Poland did, uh, like, let's say, well, Kazakhstan is a different situation uh, at all, because also uranium is uh, really dictating the uranium market, but they have uh, money enough, so they, they bought. But when you look at the other countries like Turkey, Turkey, well, you might know that their currency uh, went down, uh, Poland uh, went down. So where you see the buying, it's limited to, let's say, the big gold holdings from Western uh, companies. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's leave gold there and let's move on to uranium. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on uranium uh, looking at 2019 and onward, and what needs to happen in the uranium business to see higher prices at this point? <laughs> Yeah, that's quite interesting because uh, I was the only uh, one actually saying uh, that uh, optimism in the uranium market, I was very bullish in the last few years, was overstated when the, 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 the price recovered. Uh, and when you look, let's say, in the statements of uh, companies, they all have it, have, they say, well, listen, there was a 30% uh, increase uh, in the in the uranium price and actually one of the best performers. But I mean, it is just a recovery because you know, like I know, uh, where it's coming from. You know, 
And uh, nowadays people say, well, listen, we go back now to the same situation as it was uh, Fukushima. And they say, well, listen, it might go to 60 again, but that is impossible. What they really need is uh, prices of 40, 50 to have a positive uh, cash flow, operational cash flow. And we are still far away of that. And after we recovered it to 30, I said already, what's very important is that you shouldn't look at the uh, cash price, but you have to look at the uh, long-term price. You can see in one of my publications in my website that I said, well, what is withholding the, 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 the uranium price uh, going up is the big difference between the spot price and the long-term price. So the spot price was at a certain moment two years ago, 18. That was the historical low. And at that time, uh, the uh, long-term price was 30. When you look right now, we are 29 for the spot price, but the long-term price is still 32. What you don't read is, so only a very small uh, recovery that, uh, let's say, the, uh, the prices are specifically set, uh, long-term prices for 80%. And so the spot price is not important at all. It's... Uh, Actually, what you need is a very small difference between the spot price and, uh, and the long-term price. And that is settling now around 30. And I said, well, but even when it goes up to 40, what is possible? And you see that the cost price is uh, between 50 and 60. I mean, we are in a very difficult uh, situation. I am positive, actually, uh, right now in the uh, United States, because you might know that there's something going on. Uh, that they want actually to increase uh, the percentage of uh, uh, national uh, goal to 25%, you know. And uh, so what is happening, uh, the president has to give his approval for it. It's a kind of uh, uh, situation going on that there are some commissions working on that. Well, we are now beginning of, uh, I think, in about five, six months, uh, with actually to improve uh, or say that the uh, U.S. have to take 25% more uh, of the uh, national uh, uranium supply rather than the 7% uh, they have right now. So all the uranium uh, uh, required in the United States is coming from abroad. Right. Well, I want to go back for just before we get to Section 232, Department of Commerce, the United States. Yeah. I want to go yeah. back to a comment that you said earlier. You said that more or less $45, dollars $45, $50 a pound is more of the incentive price. Do you believe yeah. that there is enough supply at that price to sustain the uranium price around that area? Or do you see it more like what happened last time where prices overshoot? Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know what is a different situation. There's enough supply. You know why? Uh, I have an overview of strategic geological blocks, okay? And uh, when I tell you that uh, what I have done is uranium required and uranium production, and then see where there is a surplus of deficit. So when you look right. at Kazakhstan, which is the number one in the world, you see that they have a surplus of 23,000 uh, ton uranium uh, because they don't need uranium at all because they still don't have any reactors yet. Uh, then you see that Russia needs, four, uh, uh, let's say, 2,400. Uh, so that's a deficit on what they are producing now. 
And then you have Uzbekistan. Uh, they have a surplus and so on. And what you see is there's only one country right now, uh, and that is the United States, which has a deficit of 18,000 tons. Now, well, you see that Kazakhstan is producing 23,000 tons. So, every, the, so uh, Kazakhstan all, alone can supply full uh, request of the United States. Uh, the United States can also have their uh, uranium from Canada. Uh, they can have the uranium also from uh, uh, Australia. So altogether, there is no deficit at all. So I mean there is enough uranium available through Kazakhstan long-term agreements between Kazakhstan and China, long-term agreements between Kazakhstan and Russia. Nobody is paying attention to it. So as a fundamental analyst, I'm really the only one having made these, uh, these overviews and these statistics. And uh, what is quite interesting is also that uh, there's an agreement with Russia. Russia may not uh, direct, uh, let's say, uh, have agreements uh, with the United States, as you might know. So what uh, Kazakhstan uh, is doing specifically, they sent uh, their uh, surplus for a part to Canada, and Canada actually export that uh, to the United States. Yeah, no, I, I understand there's ways to to, be, to beat around the bush and get it to where you need it to go. But but you were you were saying that as far as the the supplies coming out of Kazakhstan, so with Kazakhstan being a a now public company, do you still see that Kazakhstan is still going to flood flood the market with their so-called production, or do you see that changing no. now that they're a public company? No, they're, they're well changing. You never know what the Kazakhstan is doing. You never know what the Russians are doing. You never know what the Chinese are doing. So that's actually the problem when you want to have a, a fixed opinion on what's, on what's going on. But therefore, the, right. the, the hard figures point at uh, actually what is going on um, because uh, Kazakhstan said that they actually would pull back their export of uranium for a couple of years. And that is used by other commentators to say, well, listen, that's not coming to the market anymore. So that will help actually the uranium uh, uh, demand. Let's say there would be friction in the market. But that's not happening because, you see, there's a lot of measures uh, taken. Uh, and uh, when you see that, let's say, it's only uh, uh, went up from 24 to 29, you see, there's already a consolidation in the market, which I already anticipated half a year ago. So, but even, let's say, when it would be to the benefit of Kazakhstan, I mean, they have so much uh, reserves that they can easily dictate the market to say, well, there's a year, a couple of years that we say, okay, we sell less, but they still have it uh, as reserves, so they can really wait and sue and uh, dictate the market as they want. And I think they will be cooperative to go, let it go to 30 or 40, but not at the higher prices. And uh, what you see is a real problem because, well, you know, of course, uranium uh, energy of uh, the United States, they have been the number one company for a long time, but they are also the only company which didn't have any uh, uranium receives, uh, reserves, they uh, could sell on the market and uh, actually as a compensation also for the operational uh, deficit. When you look at the figures, as I did, and you can see it again on my website, um, Sprott, well, well-known uh, company, they actually uh, are bailing uh, uranium energy out, uh, otherwise they would have been uh, bankrupt. And the figures are... Right. Uh, 
quite clear because they need 20 million a year for a lot of overhead costs and, uh, and other costs they are faced to. And uh, they are not a producing company anymore. They were the first producer uh, in the United States for a long time, ESR production. They were the first who are not producing anymore. So that means they have a shortage in the operational results of 20 million a year. And up to now, Sprott has helped them. But when the uh, uranium price is not going up, uh, in the next year or two years, then we have a situation that uh, Sprott will not going uh, uh, good money to bad money anymore. Right. Well, Marino, you, you mentioned a lot of things there, and I'm not sure I can get to all my questions about these. No. But in the United States, looking looking at the looking at the three kind of the three major companies in the United States that are publicly listed: Uranium Energy Corp., Energy Fuels, and UR Energy. Do you really yeah. see Uranium Energy Corp. as, as, as really the better? Or the yeah, well, at the current uh, market price it is, uh, actually. But, of course, what happened is, last year, uh, UR Energy has also has always been a favorite of mine. But um, And I made a switch three years ago from, uh, let's say, from Uranium Energy in UR Energy. But they are a favorite because they are relatively uh, low-valued. When you see uh, what the valuation is right now, uh, it must be uh, around, uh, well, 120 million. When you look at energy fuels, it's more than double uh, that uh, amount. Correct. And uh, en right. energy, energy fuels is really uh, ahead of uh, this very good uh, performance last year. It went up by 120%. And at the same time, your energy, well, went up too. Uh, they are both uh, actually in my short list of investment uh, recommendations, but only 22%. So, uh, I mean, when you see that uh, they have a market capitalization of 120 million and energy fuels 250 million, uh, energy fuels is the better company because they also on 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 vanadium right now. But uh, I think they are overvalued right now for the time being. Okay, you are energy yeah. is is around 100 million market cap. But the difference is yeah. you are energy maintained a couple minor contracts where they were actually taking and buying in the spot market and turn around and reselling to their yeah. contract to fulfill it. Yeah. Whereas Uranium Energy Corp has simply made a decision that they will yeah. not produce, but they will still consume capital. Whereas yeah. Energy Fuels and UR Energy have more strategically gone about it in a way that is clearly working out much better than what energy, yeah. uh, Uranium Energy Corp has tried to yeah. do, which which obviously right. yeah. you can see that of the three, they all stink, but Uranium Energy Corp certainly stinks more. <laughs> That's right, but I totally agree with you. And that is underpinned actually by the market action that these two companies, uh, uh, Energy Fuels and your Energy, had a positive uh, performance last year. So, so in, in the in the U.S. on the supply side, though, uh, what do you, what do you see on your side as a total consumption on an annual basis in the U.S.? The U.S. has you know ninety eight. It's rather yeah. It's actually a rather but, stable, as you might know, because when you see and I have ahead of me, uranium required is about nineteen thousand ton uh, uranium. Uh, that's uh, let's say an overview, which is updated uh, actually by the W uh, WNA. So what you see, because we don't have the figures, of course, from 2018 yet, but when you look at the USA, they require 19,000 a ton. Yeah, 
So that's right. a stable yeah. figure because in 2010 I have that figure too because I wanted to compare actually the the, the pre Fukushima situation compared to the situation as it is right now. And when you see in 2010, the uh, United States required nine. 18,000 ton, 19.5,000 tons, and now it's 18.9,000. So that's a real stable factor. And uh, they have access to it, uh, so there's no problem at all. So even it wouldn't be necessary to increase, say, the national uh, uh, supply, uh, because they they have access to all these tons uh, which are required. And it is only to stimulate the natural industry that well, they asked, of course, action to support that natural industry. So that would also be to the benefit, of course, of energy fuels and your energy. So if this works out, and I think there will be a positive decision and we have to wait for another five months, that that makes uranium energy actually the uh, the, the best recommendation by choice. Okay. Well, that, um, on back back to the prices on, you know, you're referring to 45 and 50. Yeah. So, so you were you were part of the cycle last time. You saw what happened last time. You saw the fundamentals right. surrounding the supply demand last time. Yeah. But this, yeah. but this time, are you are you suggesting this time that there will be no overshoot and sixty sixty dollar a pound uranium is not going to happen? No. Oh, I have to say no. No, that will not happen. And you okay. don't need it exactly. But I mean, to make some money. Well, even let's say when the situation is very positive, relatively spoken for uh, U.S. energy, I mean, for the next couple of years, they have very good long-term contracts. Uh, you might have noticed that because they just published actually the the, the, the report uh, 2018. So, uh, I mean, they are between let's say 40 and 50, and but that's only for a couple of years, of uh, of course. And uh, well, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, but. What is happening? They say, well, listen, we are the only company which have a, a positive uh, operational um, figures. And let's say, but they have, but it's only a couple of million, you know. We're talking about 2.5 million or so on. And when you have a company which is, uh, let's say, valued at 100 company, even when it is uh, relatively cheap uh, compared to other companies, well, it's, uh, it's, it's a very low perspective, of course, even when they can make 5 million or double, will not really uh, be uh, very favorable for them because they have to come out also, uh, let's say, with cold prices, which will go to an effective level of uh, 40, 50 in the next few years. But it will certainly not happen this year and even not next year. Okay. So so comparing comparing to your experience last time, back in yeah. uh, 2004 through 2007, the yeah. the supply demand fundamentals back then the fact that there are are uh, more more reactors uh, there's 455 454 reactors operational there there is no shortage of uranium and there is no shortage of people able to bring it out of the ground and get it to the utilities that's that that's right yeah and what is I think it's also uh, not a realistic. Uh, uh, view is that uh, they actually uh, give overviews under construction, okay, under plant, yes, but also proposed. Uh, when you see that for plant, you need, uh, let's say, between five and eight years. Proposed doesn't say anything. Because that can change. There will be all kinds of uh, new situations uh, uh, that even, uh, let's say, uranium will be replaced. 
or technical uh, innovations. So you really have to look to at the construction and plant only. When you look, let's say, at the required tonnes, uh, we should not for, forget, uh, of course, that everything is now based on what is go uh, China going to do. China will actually activate or will introduce six, seven uh, reactors a year. Uh, Russia uh, will do the same, also about four or five new reactors. When you look at other new countries, it's only a couple of reactors. And uh, let's say when we look to the Arab world, they are also actually building reactors, even when they have a lot of uh, oil, of course. It's only a couple of, of reactors adding to, to the total. Uh, when you go back to 2010, the Fukushima situation, nobody knew uh, at that time what um, China was going to do. Because, let's say, uh, the uh, plant and under construction of China, that is something of the last five to seven years, you know. So it's quite a different situation. Well, I, I certainly agree that there's no shortage of uranium in the world in the ground. I think that there is a shortage at these current prices, of people being able to bring on economical projects and get supply to the market. Now, yeah. with, with that, do you see uh, small modular reactors having any impact, say, uh, in the next decade on supply-demand fundamentals? Do you see small modular reactors being widely adopted? Well, well that's actually uh, negative for the old ones because I see that adopted. And what's really serious, that the reactors will not come from the Western world, but also from China and Russia. Well, there's no doubt, no doubt and Russia so, and China. And so they really control the world. They, uh, I mean, people don't understand. I mean, we have a historical cycle, you know. Before, let's say, World War II, for this, let's say, the United Kingdom of the British Commonwealth dictated the world, you know. And then, let's say, the pound was the number one currency. After World War II, uh, let's say the United States was the, the, uh, uh, dominating all markets, and it is right now. So let's say um, the dollar is the main currency, and there is no alternative, actually, for the dollar. There's still people saying and thinking that the dollar will go down. Well, my question is, against what? Because you will have a weakness of the euro as the second currency because of all the turmoil there is in Europe right now. And I see actually that the European Union will face uh, big problems also after Brexit with countries, including uh, France and, and Germany. Because there you will have, uh, let's say, uh, new governments in the next two years. And uh, when you look actually to uh, how you build an economy, you first need... Uh, let's say, your, your fossil fuels, and in these emerging countries it is coal. China is 80% is still coal. And uh, in these new countries, including also European Union, they can't just go from coal to nuclear energy. So also that is uh, overstated. That is not a possibility. You know, you can't go from, let's say, uh, f from the situation as it was uh, 50 years ago and then say, well, listen, we just go to renewables. That's a real problem, which is, which is overstated. So what, what, uh, what, what lessons did you learn during the last cycle uh, that you are applying in this cycle with regards to uranium price? Yeah, well, I'm looking uh, from an investment point of view to uh, situations in uh, emerging countries. So I am also publishing uh, individual reports on some uh, of these companies. 
And quite interesting is uh, that when you say there might be a shortage, say, in supply for China, that China gets a foothold in uh, a number of these countries, and not only in uranium, but also on base metals and also on strategic metals. So they are already right. dictating also uh, uranium supply in some of these countries, including Namibia and Niger, which are the major countries, actually. So that's right. also a way that if they need supply, they take it from abroad. And that's on all commodities, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Just like the United States took oil from the Middle East for a long time, and now yeah. look at them. So, so on this on this subject, what what companies uh, are there? A couple companies you want to mention, or maybe what do you like? Is there anything you like in Niger or Namibia? Yes, I do. But first, I want to say I, I like Casaprom now because that's the new company, the big one. Yeah, and I would right. buy Casaprom and sell Cameco uh, against it. And I have specific okay. reasons for it, but it takes too long to do the to telephone. And you, but you can find that information uh, backed also in my in my reports actually. Okay, so yeah. when when you when you look at the broad the broad realm of these uranium companies, you kind of have the producers, you kind of have the developers, and then you have the explore co's. What yeah. do you what do you see as an ideal portfolio blend mixing yeah. these companies in context of timing? Section 232, uh, Africa leverage. How do you how do you approach this? Uh, well, I, when you ask people for how many producers you have in the world, how many you think you you might know, but the people who want to invest in it don't. So we had six producers, and one of them is not producing. Two of them are not producing for the time being, and are in a situation that they need, uh, let's say, ten at least. $10 high prices before they can produce again. So it's very difficult, let's say, to choose uh, under the producers. Uh, that is, well, we discussed it already, uh, your energy. Uh, f from a quality point of view, it's, of course, energy uh, fuels, but they are too expensive. Uh, I think Comico is too expensive specifically when you compare it to Casacrom. Uh, when you go then, then you have to go, let's say, to the exploration development companies. And I have overviews there too, which I update every month. And there's the interesting situation that you have only about 15 uh, companies with a, a market capitalization, let's say, more than 10, 20 million. So uh, that's about, uh, I have overviews of the 10 major companies uh, development exploration uh, focused on industrial countries. I have the same for emerging countries. And I couldn't even have uh, 10 companies, uh, let's say, uh, above $10 market valuation in both sections. So then you see how how small, actually, the possibility of the, the, the choices are. And uh, I can nevertheless... Uh, Call a few of these. Uh, I must say, where? What's your favorite in Africa? What do you like? Do you like Niger better? Do you like Namibia better? No, well, uh, Niger is more settled, but I prefer actually Namibia. Yeah, my number one company there is Deep Yellow. Then the second okay. one is uh, actually uh, Benaman Resources. Then we go to Niger, and uh, that's my favorite one. Well, is uh, Gofiex Uranium. I don't know whether you've heard from it. Yes. Uh, and then uh, there's only one other situation, and that's in Botswana. 
And these are actually countries which are relatively stable, you know, because, well, let's say when you have 20 African countries, there's <laughs> only in a few is no corruption or whatever. Uh, so Botswana, so then you have, let's say, so two in Namibia, one in Niger, and uh, Govix has also interest in other African countries in Botswana. So these are four companies. Uh, then... Um, you can go to, well, whatever. I went to uh, a plateau energy focus of Peru, but uh, they are, let's say, what I said already earlier, they are also, let's say, in, 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 in other countries. And some of these uranium companies are actually going into vanadium and in uh, lithium. So it's not only pure uranium companies anymore. Uh, when we right. look, let's yep. say, uh, Africa, I also have to mention actually uh, Aura Energy, uh, yep. which is uh, active in Mauritania. And I'm working on it right now. I think it is the most interesting company of all of them. You know what their the problem is? And that is, let's say, the Australian uh, situation, how Australian stocks are valued, because these are all penny stocks. They have market a couple of million up to billion uh, outstanding shares. So these are penny stocks and have a relatively small market capitalization of 20 million. So you might right. know that, let's say, professional investors uh, are normally not allowed to buy penny stock. So when you see that they are one cent now, and they are very advanced in uh, in uh, Mauritania and also have a very good uh, project uh, in, in, in Sweden. When the price goes from one cent to two cents, <laughs> you, you double your investment, you know. And I just yeah. wrote them a letter and said, well, listen, this might be a problem uh, from, uh, let's say, an investment point of view. For, so you should actually come to a consolidation because there are some other Australian companies uh, that they did a, com uh, a consolidation. But uh, still, let's say most of these companies are penny stocks, and I don't understand that, that uh, you use penny stocks, actually, uh, rather than have, uh, let's say, the possibility for serious investment funds to buy a stock in Australia. Right. Well, let me let me ask you a couple of questions. I got a few questions off of, based off what you said. Some of these companies, uh, like the one you mentioned in Botswana, ACAP, and, and some of these yeah. others, they have heavy Chinese investors that own a bulk of their shares. Do you yeah. see the Chinese owning these publicly listed companies uh, having having a large position on the shareholder roster? Do you see that as a positive for these companies, or do you see it kind well, of as a corpse? You see it from both sides, you know, because they look at the situation that they have an, uh, uh, an equity interest. But on the other hand, you see that they also direct uh, participate in the, in, the, in the projects because they spend a lot of money uh, specifically, uh, uh, let's say, in, uh, in Niger and in, in, in the early stages already well uh, before the Fukushima division, because you had a lot of transactions, hundreds of million dollars, let's say, for certain projects where a lot of money was lost. So they learned from that. So you see that they start to get the participation uh, actually uh, in a project, but also you can generalize that also depending on, on, on their foothold already in a certain country uh, that they uh, buy the shares. I, I would say they are more interested in the project than in the shares. i, I got to be honest with you. I haven't seen a lot of positive come out of this where a Chinese company has a significant shareholder ownership in most of these companies. I have not seen where there's actually been anything positive come out for the shareholders, with the exception that I will mention 
that Robert Friedland, Ivanhoe Mines, Robert Robert somehow seems to manage these people quite well, but okay, I cannot but... think of many other who who can actually do that. So let me let me ask you this too on on another note. What do you see as kind of when you look at these companies? Do you kind of see their the the, the finances as a number one, the mineral deposit as a number one, or do you see management is really important when looking at these companies? Uh, management is not. Uh, uh... <laughs> That important, I guess, only with Robert Friedland because he is uh, uh, well uh, famous uh, all over the world. He has long-term uh, connections, uh, of course, in Asia and uh, specifically with uh, the Chinese companies. But when you look, let's say, at uh, the, the management of well other companies, or smaller companies, well, they don't. All of them don't have a good record. That's correct. I don't. And, and I, 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 there's yeah. no exception. Even I, uh, I think uh, Cameco uh, uh, fails to have an, uh, let's say, strategic vision on what's going on, because they have still a lot of money in the till, as you might know. What I see is that I say, well, when you are so positive about, uh, uh, let's say, the uranium price, that you are waiting for better circumstances. Look. Camico is the one who should actually give the, the the starting signal and say, well, listen, I invest a part of my uh, money in in uh, the the uranium market. Why shouldn't they buy at 25 when they are waiting for 40? You know, and I don't, it'll be interesting to see what they end up buying yeah, in the spot yeah. market this year with, yeah. with some of their. That, that, that's right. You don't have to be an expert. Uh, that is just uh, well. Common sense, what I like to call it, you know. So if I don't, yeah, they mention, let's say, in their reports, they will do so. They're coming out in two weeks with their annual report. Uh, that they say, well, listen, the market, uh, uh, all kind of action is going on. So uh, why shouldn't they more active? And Camico, you know what they spent into the ground? Only $37 million a year. When you look, let's say, the big successful companies are new companies, after the accident in Japan, Fukushima, and uh, they are very successful, uh, like Fission and Nexen, you know. These are the only two successful companies. And then you can say, well, listen, uh, I mean, uh, there's management to the account of management, but, I mean, it takes at least five to six years before they can produce. And nobody can uh, look, let's say, at that far and then give a concrete opinion uh, about the possibilities. And when you see when they have a market capitalization next end of 800, I mean, it's out of order. So what what do you like? Speaking of Canada, Canadian Athabasca Basin plays. What what do you like up there at this moment? Uh, what I like there, <laughs> I am writing a report on it. I started with 30 companies. At the moment, there are 15 companies, and there's only three projects. Let's say which have some uh, well are prospective, but. I also see there actually that specifically that there's only small companies there. I mean, when you look, there's let's say only five companies with a market capitalization above 50 million, and 15 of them have a market capitalization less than 10 million. So I mean, this is the casino, you know, at the Basque Basin to say, well, listen, it's the best camp in the world, and so on. Well, it was, and uh, it got the stimulus actually for next gen and also from uh, fission uranium. But after that, nobody has been successful. Only two projects uh, from Denison Mines. And let's say uh, there's two, three companies working, let's say, on projects, but with market capitalizations of, well, let's say, uh, 20 million. Uh, you can't say, well, this is worth to invest in. 
Well, I want to I want to switch switch over to uh, back to Namibia. So the Chinese bought Rossing. Uh, what do you think the Chinese are going to do with that old uh, Rossing there? Do you think it's for internal purposes, or do you see the Chinese producing there and selling into the market? I think they are producing there with Husab as well. Uh, yeah. Do you see the Chinese? Uh, do you see the Chinese kind of keeping this stuff for themselves and their own uh, reactor yeah. requirements in China, yeah. or do you see China uh, selling this stuff into the market? Yeah, for their for their own actually, and uh, I mean they will also sell, of course, their their own reactors there. They finance the infrastructure, and that's very important, of course, that they really can dictate on the money they they have available uh, what's happening in the countries. And I mean, uh, some of it will uh, disappear in the pockets of the uh, of the country leaders, but I mean that's that's the name of the game, you know. The the we always say, well, there's a lot of corruption and so on. But when you look, uh, let's say, China doesn't care too, too much about it. They have the economic priorities. So so with these, some of these other companies that have showed up recently, like Uranium uh, Royalty Corp, uh, Yellow Cake, and, and yeah, so forth. small amounts, Yellow and, Cake, 100 million. I mean... Well, I mean, yellow cakes and, and, and these others. Well, what was the effect? I mean, okay, the stock price recovered from 20 to 29, and now for more than a month, it's still not uh, it's still not broke to the 30 level. So what are we talking about? Because everybody says that we need uh, at least 40 uh, to get more confidence and maybe more uh, action uh, from, uh, at the exploration side. Uh, I mean, there's still operation uh, losses uh, for the companies, uh, uh, for, for, for the producers right now. So Cameco needing to buy uh, more in the spot market to fill contracts in yeah. 2019. Do you see the price uh, getting above 30 in 2019, 35? Yeah. Well, you you know what they did, huh? because they 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 need actually to buy the market because they have a lot of commitments at higher prices now, but they don't have uh, actually enough uh, to deliver. So what they had to do is actually uh, they asked uh, the market uh, to put uh, 500,000 uh, tons available they wanted to buy. And what they think, that people want to sell it uh, for, for, for $25, uh, $30. Uh, I mean, when uh, at the same time it is said that in a couple of years or even earlier, because people are too optimistic that they can get $40, I mean... Uh, it doesn't make sense to me when they think that people will sell, will sell uh, uh, let's say, at uh, 25 to them or, or 30 even. I want to talk about long-term contracting for a moment. So as you know, yeah. uh, post, post Section 232, the U.S. utilities who need to recontract over the next couple of years will probably have a significant amount of contracts uh, taking place between 2020 and 2024. Do you see that there is enough supply right now for those utilities to be able to, to, to contract? And at what prices do you think that these all these utilities will get all these contracts? Do you see it all below 50? Yeah, yeah. well, I, uh, I don't see it, uh, let's say, as a threat to the market because, as I said already, there are long-term agreements already. The, the uh, reserves are available right now. So, I mean, uh, also for the future, uh, this is also based, let's say, on uh, possible uh, reactors which need uh, uh, actually uranium, but that doesn't make sense, actually. It's only for an increasing number uh, of uh, 20, maybe a year. What you also don't see is that, let's say, you have to replace uh, reactors. So when you see uh, the net need, it's much smaller, actually, 
than what is said what you really need uh, in the future of uh, new reactors. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I think that there's uh, there's some interesting points on you know shutdowns and and uh, you know how how that's yeah that, that's, that's right. But do, do you see that mention? You see, you only see that they say, well, listen, uh, there's a shortage of this, there's a shortage of that, but they don't say what the uh, surplus is directly available from uh, Kazakhstan, who can feed the whole world, and uh, also let's say the the old reactors, which will not uh, add actually anymore. Well, I see. I see. It's interesting. The French French just mentions mentioned that they are not going to even consider. They just moved it out ten years. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you you do recall that the president there said we're going to move it from starting starting to wean off nuclear and shut down some of these plants twenty twenty five. Now they're saying yeah. twenty thirty five. Yeah, uh, that that's right. But the, so you see, even with these reactors. I mean, they are exporting, of course. Uh, they they need the uranium, but they have the uranium for the full number of reactors. So, I mean, if they are not there anymore, you you don't need actually uh, the uranium they are uh, using right now. So, you, you think on talk, speaking of global supplies, you you think that Kat Kazataprom and uh, some of these other governments? Do you actually think some of these governments, like Japan and so forth, do you really think that they're still in the market looking to sell uranium at these prices? No, I don't think so. And uh, with Japan, uh, Japan should be let uh, because <laughs> that's a, an example actually of the economic value of uranium. Because everybody thought, well, listen, uh, uranium would be out of the question in Japan. But uh, you know, and actually pointing at it, that they will go again to, uh, let's say, between 25 and 30 uh, reactors. And uh, let's say the uranium is still available there. Because you had some stories at the time uh, that they might sell in the market, but they don't sell in the market. They uh, have a lot of uh, reserves available. And that is also a point which makes it very difficult to make a, a valuable, a fundamental proposition there that they need actually, uh, they have an over, with, with, with 20 uh, new, uh, reactors, let's say, 25 reactors maybe, they need much less uranium than they actually needed uh, at the time of the, uh, of the Fukushima disaster. Yeah. So they hold on to it and uh, they will not sell actually. They will keep it as a reserve. And when you don't have insight in the reserves uh, of Japan, not in the reserves of America too, you know, because that is a strategic point then it is also very difficult to make uh, some uh, forecasts on how the situation uh, will be between demand and supply. But again, uh, I don't see actually very bullish uh, elements where you say, well, the the, the price uh, goes above, uh, let's say, 40 within the next two years or so. And I, I was even I surprised when it, when it will be 40 on the shorter term. I think that uh, there is not one government out there that's selling uranium, and for, and further no. to that, not not all of this not all of this uranium that the government holds is sitting in a barrel. It's not yellow cake in a can. It's also no. uh, fuel assemblies, fuel assemblies yeah, but, that are that are waiting to go to utilities, and utilities have fuel assemblies as well that are manufactured. Do you think Japan doesn't have any any inventory of just uh, fuel rods and and so forth for the utilities? Because what I would what I would say is is even though the governments have substantial supply, there is not one government in the, today that's selling into the market at, at twenty nine dollars uranium. Well, I totally agree with you, and well, we already discussed that earlier. So that is the situation as it is. 
on the, I want to ask you about underfeeding uh, with with the SWOO price where it is and it's starting to move up a little bit. What do you do? You see underfeeding at this point as a kind of weaning off? Give the SWOO price. No. You you see uh, underfeeding continuing uh, at a higher at a higher rate, or do you see it declining with the SWOO price being down? No. I would just say, whereas whereas the SWOO price used to be very very high, and and with with a high SWOO price, obviously it makes sense. There's there's incentive at higher prices to produce more with underfeeding. Yeah. Whereas when SWOO prices are low, yeah, why would yeah. you why would you do underfeeding when the price is so low? So there's no incentive to do uh, heavy underfeeding. No, like I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, that uh, well the situation is as it is, and I don't see a really uh, a driver uh, to get the uh, uranium price higher. It's a game uh, between uh, Tamiko and uh, Kasaprom because they are the big uh, companies, uh, of course, and uh, Kamiko has uh, big problems uh, because they need a lot of uh, uranium to fulfill their commitments, their contracts, and that could be even a, a tightening situation. So I certainly would not buy Kamiko right now. Uh, when you see that, let's say, their uh, production will half 2080 compared to uh, 2017. Because, and I don't see actually an opportunity that they can uh, reopen uh, their other uh, projects or projects other than they are only working on one project right now. Well, Kazataprom certainly with their supply cuts and the fact that Kazataprom has not spent a dime yeah. on exploration well, and, and okay. increasing reserves, that it yeah. certainly points to a uh, – they certainly seem to be getting a little bit wiser, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yep, and, and as a public company now with their own pension fund being directly involved with how the returns of that company go. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how – how things kind of play out going forward and uh, see what happens with Section 232. And, and it certainly is a yeah, exciting well, time. Yeah, hopefully that, that, that works, but just for the natural industry, of course. And But they really need it from an economic point of view because uh, also the United States have their uh, contracts with a number of countries. Uh, like I said, right. uh, of course, with, uh, with Russia uh, through uh, Canada and uh, directly uh, with uh, Kazakhstan and then also with Australia. So they really don't need it. So happy, uh, let's say, with the seven uh, percent. It's just a point, uh, let's say, we're outsiders that it says, well, it brings the United States in a weak situation, but it isn't. So, uh, Marino, how can investors reach out to you for more information, and how can they get access to your research? Well, they can go to my website, and uh, so that's the, if they have some specific questions. I mean, they can also be in direct uh, contact with me. Okay, that that sounds good, and uh, and I see also on your Twitter here uh, there is a, a handle at Metal Kamad IP is your Twitter yeah. handle. Well, Marino, I, I appreciate you taking the time with us today. And, uh, You're very welcome. You for- okay, thank you.